Welcome to Blue Dot, a look at our place in space. I'm Dave Schloem. California is one of the most biodiverse places on the planet, home to a variety of ecosystems despite also being home to millions of people. And the University of California has a very special system of natural reserves that represent virtually every ecosystem found in the state. In this program, we'll hear about some of the educational programs and research being done via the UC Natural Reserve System. Later on, we'll find out about a unique program from UC Merced called Field Curious that helps prepare undergraduate students, many of whom come from urban backgrounds, to do field research out in the natural world and feel comfortable and inspired while learning in nature's outdoor laboratory. Later on, we'll visit with two UCLA graduate students doing some fascinating wildlife research at Stunt Ranch, a UC reserve that's in the Santa Monica Mountains National Park. It's a place that I used to visit a lot when I was a teenager, an amazing coastal mountain ecosystem just a few miles from urban Los Angeles. But first, let's get an overview of the UC Natural Reserve System with Steve Monfort. He's the executive director of the reserves. He joins us now. Steve Monfort, welcome to Blue Dot. Well, thank you for having me. Well, first of all, uh, what are the origins of the Natural Reserve System? How did it begin? You know, in the 1950s, researchers at the University of California mostly conducted their field work at uh, sites that were near their campus. But development was rampant at that time, and a, a few faculty started to see that their field sites were being uh, developed, and they were very concerned that long-term research wasn't going to be possible. And so they approached uh, their uh, chancellors and and the University of President, uh, University of California President Clark Kerr. Uh, agreed that some land should be set aside. And so in 1965, which was 58 years ago, the natural reserve system uh, was founded. It was originally, um, it was originally called something else. It was the natural land and water reserve system, but it was established with seven uh, properties that were established by the UC Board of Regents with um, the idea that they would support undergraduate education, research and public service. So its origins are are from 1965 and uh, a time when it was very different from today. Yeah, there was so much development going on post-World War II. I could just, you know, see a lot of that. Those field re researchers, uh, those professors going out to a site and, you know, all of a sudden it's bulldozed. So you, you know, and there's a motel there where you used to do your field research. Yeah, there was a desert study in, uh, you know, Palm Desert on desert iguanas. This was one of our our founders, uh, Ken Norris, and he he was really the first one to sort of uh, sound the alarm and and got a few other faculty to get together with him to try to uh, create this system. And and now there's what forty one reserves. Yes, there are forty one reserves. They're distributed around the state of California. They're intended to um, reflect all of the uh, ecosystems of the state. And predominantly, I think we've done that to date. So this means we have uh, replicates of certain ecosystem types like wood, Oakland, uh, oak woodland savannas or coastal sites, you know, Sierra sites uh, and so on. So we it's a diversity of ecosystems and they're open to research conducted not just by UC researchers, but researchers uh, around the world can apply and come and use these facilities to great effect. Well, we can't cover all of them, but can you maybe just give us a brief tour of some of the some of the highlights, some of the you know really interesting places? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of uh, one of our crown jewels would be uh, it's called Big Creek uh, Reserve. Um, 
the Landles Big Creek Reserve. It's in Big Sur. And so it's 8,000 acres. It goes from the, the ocean to the tops of the mountains. And it allows you to study you know, every type of different ecosystem as you rise in elevation. We can do work right there with a, a beach landing site. So we can you know, have uh, teaching can be done there, scientific diving, uh, looking at this, the impacts of runoff into the ocean, looking at uh, stream systems as you go upland, looking at different plant communities. And so it's really intended to be a living laboratory, a living classroom. So each of our facilities uh, would have housing, uh, typically a place to convene students for teaching, and then support systems to you know, help facilitate uh, the research and teaching that uh, folks want to do at that site. So Big Creek would be one. That's just an amazing place along the Big Sur coastline. Um, and if you go all the way out to the eastern Mojave uh, Preserve, which is a million and a half acres uh, run by the uh, National Park Service, we have a 9,000 acre a reserve uh, there called Granite Mountains Reserve. And it's uh, in the actual, right inside the, the preserve. And so it has this, not only a field station, but it has connectivity to a vast landscape, a desert landscape in the air. So there's a couple uh, examples. They're all, honestly, it's, um, it's hard to believe that we have managed, someone had the foresight to set aside some of these incredible landscapes for, for, for future use and for, you know, forever, basically. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah, it's a it's a great natural resource to, to have preserved for, for all of us. But uh, as part of the University of California, could you talk a bit about their role as an educational resource? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, one thing I would like to bring up is to say that, you know, 58 years ago, we lived in a very different world. And at the time, you know, people weren't thinking about, uh, you know, climate change. The the, the famous Keeling curve, uh, you know, came out in the, in the late 50s and started to uh, show that there was this uh, carbon pollution was uh, in, impacting, you know, increasing in the environment. And people started to think about how that, you know, the beginning of climate change and its impacts were being just at, at their very beginning back then. If you fast forward 58 years, you know, we just experienced the hottest uh, land temperatures in history, the hottest ocean surface temperatures in history. We know that we're in a climate uh, emergency, but that leads to a biodiversity emergency. And right now, you know, we have, uh, you know, code red for humanity and people think about biodiversity loss around the world in distant places, but people don't recognize that California is a global biodiversity hotspot. And within the United States, it has the most biodiversity, but it also has the most imperiled biodiversity. So if we look at what we do today, whether it's teaching or, or uh, research, much of that work has gone from sort of curiosity-driven research, basic science research, to now research that will help. Uh, it's aimed at solving problems related to the impacts of climate as a driver uh, of ecosystem change and biodiversity loss. And so really a lot of our education programming today is with uh, young people that are, are coming into the system that are desperate to want to make a difference, to, to see their life have meaning. And they want to do that by helping to understand and, and hopefully protect nature and put nature at the core of their lives in some way. And so our opportunities in education are really uh, about providing that experiential learning, that getting your hands dirty in the field. You know, so many uh, of the communities that we're attracting to come to the UC, for example, and you know, are uh, come from places that are um, very, you know, they're climate vulnerable communities. These are 
you know, first generation students, they're underrepresented. Maybe they've never even uh, camped out overnight, for example, or they've never had a mentor or a guide that could help them, you know, experience and understand nature. So a lot of our education, you know, in for undergrads and, and even pushing back all the way down through, you know, uh, sort of K through 12 students is really at the first of it, at the base of it, it's getting people out in nature, having this experience and, you know, I like to say, you know, getting people to fall in love with nature and ultimately to understand the intrinsic value that nature brings us. It provisions us with the things we need to survive as as humanity. And I think that's and I would like, you know, personally, that type of education for me is critical, you know, because we want to seed uh, all different sectors of society with people who understand this intrinsic value. You know, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the fuel and fiber that we need to survive all comes from nature and from that biological diversity that makes up nature. Well, of course, each one of the reserves is is a place unto itself. And like like I said, there's 41 of them. We can't go into detail about each one. But uh we were talking the other day and you mentioned to me that there's you're starting to move towards more of a systems approach to managing the the reserve system could you talk a bit about you have you have a partnership i think with the california department of fish and wildlife could you talk a bit about you know that kind of move forward yeah sure as i sort of alluded to in the past a lot of research was just done as place based research it might have been on an individual species or a class of organisms or plants uh, or animals. And, you know, that's all really important to understand ecosystems, uh, you know, understand what biodiversity exists there, how it functions and so on. But the opportunity of having a distributed network across the entire state allows us to sort of step up at a higher elevation and, and try to think about how we can uh, collectively work at scale to understand how ecosystems are changing, you know, what's going on with biodiversity, what's happening, you know, as the state, um, for example, is, you know, addressing uh, uh, fires and droughts and other natural catastrophes, they often want to know, you know, what species were the winners or the losers in this situation? What are the prospects for recovery and so on? And in reality, we don't even have a fundamental baseline of knowledge about what biodiversity exists specifically down to for plants and animals. And so we have to create uh, one thing we could do across the state is work together when what we're calling a, a statewide sentinel site network is so really it's a it's a network of place based. Um, uh, it's a place based network that includes not only the 41 sites of the University of California, but the uh, California Department of Fish and Wildlife has established 42 sites amongst their network where they uh, are deploying instruments that monitor weather and you know, soil uh, moisture, for example, uh, leaf water content, things like this. And now if you connect all of this monitoring into a system, you can start to see, you know, what change is occurring uh, at at scale across the state of California. So other uh, private reserves are also now part of this emerging network. So we have about 100 different uh, sites where, where the, the UC Natural Reserve System is acting as a backbone, if you will, that helps to anchor this system with the state of California and other private uh, reserves. And the reason why the University of California is critical in this role and also the state, in my view, is we're trying to solve, 
you know, problems related to environment and biodiversity that I call, I, unfortunately, I call forever problems. These are problems that will always be with us. We will always be managing nature, essentially, so that it can function appropriately, we hope. And yet, you know, we need forever institutions that are going to take on these challenges. And so the University of California in our state is probably as close as we're going to get to that. And the state government is the other side. So by putting these two uh, forever kind of anchor partners together, I think, and then adding in collaborators with that uh, will ensure the long-term health of that particular effort. It's 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 not a quick win. It's the kind of thing that takes a long time to establish the baseline. But once we do have that, we can really begin to measure, you know, what are the, um, the are, are our interventions working the way we intended them to? What species are most at risk? And, and how can we build a more uh, resilient uh, climate future? And of course, there's important research going on, you know, through the universities. At, at every one of these sites, um, and we can't talk about all of them, but as briefly as you can, could you maybe highlight a couple of really cool ones? Well, I would just say thematically, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, fire, for example. Right now we're doing research in uh, a couple of our reserves on, um, you know, how we do uh, controlled burning, for example, working with uh, tribal communities and the communities that surround our reserves, the, the different agencies, CAL FIRE and so on. So while it's not the type of research that people think about being conducted in a laboratory, we can do things that, for example, um, we can simulate grazing impacts, let's say, or agricultural um, practices on the land, and then burn these areas in a controlled way and study the behavior of fire and understand which of the, of the um, you know, husbandry uh, methodologies that are being used on the land are best for uh, reducing the intensity of fires, for example. So that's that's uh, you know one type of research that we do. I would say another one we do, which is just fascinating to me, is understanding um, you know the ecology of the big of the big trees, uh, like in Yosemite and the sequoias. Understanding the ecology that's happening within the trees. It's amazing that you can go all the way up to the top of some of these, you know, 300 foot trees and find that there are organisms and plants and even animals that that live their entire life cycle deriving uh, the water that they need to survive from fog, fog water. So, you know, there's just, you know, nature is an amazing, uh, it's just amazing. There's so many, um, our understanding of, of biodiversity and, and, and species and how they uh, function and survive is just really very rudimentary. People assume we know more than we do. We're discovering things all of the time. There are literally hundreds of researchers every year. Um, you know, we have 275 or so publications are produced every year across the system. Many millions of dollars of research funding are brought to bear to make that happen, too. Very cool. Well, Steve uh, Monfort, thanks so much for joining us to give us a little bit of an overview of the incredible uh, crown jewels of the, for the state of California that, that are the, the UC Natural Reserve System. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you. Thanks to our guest, UC Natural Reserves Director Steve Monfort. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll find out about a unique program at UC Merced using the natural reserves to help undergraduate students get the tools they need to do field research. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot.
And we're back. Now let's turn our attention to the natural reserves being utilized by UC Merced for a special program called Field Curious. It helps students gain the skills they need to work on scientific projects out in the field. We're joined by Jessica Malish. She's Associate Director of the UC Natural Reserve System and played a pivotal role in the design and launch of the Field Curious program. We're also joined by one of the students that's participated and benefited greatly from Field Curious, Carlos Martinez. Jessica and Carlos, welcome to Blue Dot. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. I am excited to be here. And we're excited to have you. Jessica, could you first tell us about UC Merced's component of the UC Natural Reserve System? What, what, what exactly do you have that's part of that system? Yeah, we have two reserves that are part of the 41 Natural Reserve System-wide um, system. That's our Yosemite Field Station and our Merced Vernal Pool and Grassland Reserve. In addition to the, those two reserves that are part of the UC-wide reserve, UC Merced also has an additional two reserves, uh, the Sequoia Field Station and the Sycon Field Station in the foothills to Sequoia National Park. And uh, this drew my attention by when I saw an article about the Field Curious program you have. So I would like to know, what's what was the genesis of that, Jessica? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a really amazing endowed scholarship for students who want to do field research at any of our UC Merced Natural Reserve locations. And this scholarship was put in place by a former reserve director, and also uh, his wife, who was a professor at UC Merced, it's called the Swarth Fogel Scholarship, and it's to support undergraduate students doing field research. And we've only had that going for a couple of years now. And when we first released that scholarship money, or there was a first there was an application procedure for that scholarship, we were initially really excited because there was a lot of interest from UC Merced undergrads in the scholarship and that we gauged that level of interest based on the number of students who started the application. It was an online application so we could see when students started it. And over 200 students started the application, which is quite a large number of students getting excited about field research. But we actually ended up with a very low application completion rate. And we were curious, like, why did so many students click on the application, start to fill it out, and then stop? And I know from my experience as a field researcher and knowing about diversity, equity, inclusion in the field, that um, there is frequently a lack of sense of belonging in field research for many students. They can't see themselves being field researchers. So we surveyed all the students who started the application but didn't finish to figure out what was the reason. Why, why didn't these students finish the application? And we, although we knew that there is an issue with lack of sense of belonging in field research, we sort of assumed that the big issue students were going to say was finding a research mentor or writing a research proposal. But really, mostly what students were worried about were um, identity-based um, risks related to field research, so field safety concerns, uh, and essentially lack of sense of belonging in the field, so be, not being able to see themselves as field researchers. So we were like, the Natural Reserve System decided we needed to come up with an intervention and so we designed Field Curious, which is a weekend-long field research immersion program. So just one overnight, and we have students do hands-on research in the field, both at the Merced Vernal Pool Grasslands Reserve, as well as our Yosemite Field Station. They get to meet scientists from the UC Merced and National Park Service uh, community and really get to sort of experience the magic of field research. 
So would you say a component of that, you know, not completing that application was just a, a lack of feeling like they belong in the outdoors or a comfort level kind of thing? And uh, Carlos, if you want to comment on that, go ahead. So I feel that I can comment on the ability to feel yourself and see yourself as a field researcher before the program I had a broad idea of what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to go into the sciences, but I didn't necessarily know which kind of science, what exactly I wanted to do. Um, And it wasn't until the program that I saw myself as a field researcher. I found the love I have for being outside and I just genuinely enjoyed the whole program itself over that course of the weekend. And Carlos, growing up in Southern California in a pretty urban area there in, in the San Fernando Valley, did you have much experience as a child, as a, as a youngster growing up, of being in the outdoors and around nature? Growing up where I did, next door to my house, we did have a public park that was owned by the city where it was just a lot of trees, a lot of grass. But unfortunately, About the time when I was about, I want to say, seven years old, they did tear it down and they ended up building a rec center, which took away a lot of the greenery. And that was pretty devastating looking back at it because it did kind of strip me away from that enjoyment. Aside from that, uh, my dad um, was telling me stories over this past break about how he would take me and my brother out to a park. uh, It's called Hassan Dam. I know it well. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's about 30 minutes away from my house, but we ended up stopping just because the trip was always too difficult with their work schedules, as well as transportation issues. You know, it's very difficult to navigate if you don't understand how the public transportation works. And if you don't have your own mode of transportation, it was very difficult to find uh, places with lots of greenery around. And growing up, I and well, looking back at it now, I realized that I realized how much I missed out growing up because of all that they tore down that was right in my neighborhood. And they ended up having me go 30 minutes away from my house. And it's just very upsetting, kind of, um, when I look back at it. But now that I'm grown, I am able to push myself to go out more and explore more. And I think that's one of the Biggest takeaways I got from the program was that I didn't need anyone to take me there. I could start taking myself out and start researching on my own or just like exploring and creating questions for myself when I, whenever I am outside. Yeah, you triggered a memory for me because when I was a kid, I joined a group called Audubon Student Naturalists. And we used to have our little field trips to Hanson Dam to go bird watching and, you know, checking out the wildlife and just a little bit of nature there. So, yeah, that's that's cool that you had the same experience I did there. Okay, Jessica, tell us about, like, what kind of students are you trying to attract into this program, Field Curious? We want any student who has ever been curious about field research. So uh, Field Curious is open to any UC Merced undergraduate student. All we want is that the student has a curiosity about field research. The students can be any major, any year, just a current UC Merced student is the only requirement. And then Carlos, tell us about how you first heard about and got attracted to this program. So... I remember I was out with two of my friends 
And we had signed up for this re resource fair that my school was hosting um, in our conference center, which is where I first met Jessica. Uh, she was tabling there uh, talking about the natural reserve system and she handed us a copy of a research article about, I believe it was difficulties in research uh, for undergrads and discussing different ideas with Jessica. She had also told us about the program uh, Field Curious. Um, we were looking at each other, me and my friends, we were looking at each other about whether or not we wanted to go because the way that Jessica described it, it seemed like a very amazing time and there wasn't anything to lose for us because it was just one weekend at a very early time in the semester that we knew that if we didn't have that weekend available, it would have been fine. But I remember seeing the flyers up at Jessica's table. And with the QR code, I remember scanning it almost right away <laughs> after all my <laughs> friends decided that we would all do it together because it was a new experience that we got to enjoy together. And I think that's my first memory of finding out about this program. And of course, we we mentioned that you grew up in a pretty urban environment and Hanson Dam is pretty cool, but it has nothing to compare with Yosemite. Tell us about what it was like for you to first experiences, experience places like that. I cannot begin to describe the excitement I felt when I first got to the entrance of Yosemite. It was such a surreal experience. I Every time I look back at it, I just feel chills because Hassan Dam cannot compare to Yosemite. Yosemite is such a beautiful area. It had so much beauty and I believe it was snowing at the time as well. And so just seeing the snow at the time. It was my first time experiencing snow as well. So it was kind of like a two-in-one. And just that feeling of first arriving there, it was, it. I don't know any other way to, experience, to explain it as like magical because I just felt so happy there. I felt like a peace of mind just being in that area, like by myself. Like I saw myself there. I saw myself standing in the moment. And it was just something I can't really describe because of how amazing it was to me. And to just think about how much I could have missed out if I didn't go on this program, it really is insane to me of how much I appreciate this so much. Well, all I can say to that, Carlos, is millions of human beings through millennia have had a similar reaction upon first seeing that valley. So it's a pretty universal feeling for people. That's very cool. Okay, Jessica, um, tell us about the importance of teaching undergraduate students the, these basic tools that you provide in this program for being field researchers. What are some of those tools that you think are important? Yeah, I mean, the first is, you know, just that curiosity, being able to make observations about nature. And I think seeing the scientist that's in everybody and showing students, it, you don't have to take a class, you don't have to have a certain degree, you can walk out into any landscape, natural, urban, the interface of the two, sit down with your field notebook make some observations and start asking questions and developing hypotheses. So I think that's the most important tool that we give students. And it's the first thing we really do once we have the students in the field for the weekend is let's get out our notebooks. Let's learn how to take down important information like what the temperature, what time is it, where are you? And then start making observations and come up with some questions. Another really important feature that we highlight heavily is field safety. 
Um, and we do a pre-trip meeting to make sure students um, have equipment that they need to be safe and comfortable in the field, that they have a, a sense of confidence that they're going to be taken care of and they're going to a safe place. We make sure students know where we're going, when we're going, where will there be bathrooms, when will there be Wi-Fi and cell service. Uh, we have a field safety plan that's DEI informed, diversity, equity, inclusion informed. Uh, we make sure that they have equipment that will also help keep them safe. And one of the things that we provide is a Field Curious backpack, and it has the Field Curious logo and the UC Merced logo on it. And one of these, what that does is it creates a visual for um, our groups that we are a group and that we have the right to be where we are. Um, it gives like a group identity and a sense of authority that keeps um, individuals safe when they're out in outdoor spaces. We also give them a raincoat and gloves and a warm hat and wool socks and teach them how to use hand warmers. And we talk about what the weather is going to be like to make sure everyone is prepared to be comfortable in the field. Carlos, what, what, what was it like for you to kind of acquire those tools? So the tools I feel were very important because during the pre-trip meeting, uh, before the pre-trip meeting, I was kind of scared going on this trip because I heard Yosemite, I heard a weekend trip. So I assumed camping and I have never been camping before. Um, so when we got more information through the pre-trip meeting, it was a... It was very comforting. It was a peace of mind, just knowing what supplies we were getting, um, what the temperature was going to be like, how everything was going to work, um, and how safe we were going to be, despite this being a new environment for me. It was genuinely very comforting. The day of that we first left, that's when we got the backpacks and all of our supplies. The supplies have come in handy so many times that weekend alone. One of the things I do like to talk about is the sketchbook. The sketchbook I think I've used over, I wanna say a good 50 times this summer, uh, just when I started going hiking on my own at home. But the tools that we were given are very useful. I think what Jessica had mentioned earlier were the hand warmers. The hand warmers were my best friend. It was so cold up there in Yosemite. I had at least two hand warmers in each pocket just to keep me warm. And it was so funny to me about all these supplies that I didn't think I was going to end up using. And then to end up using them, like the rain poncho, it rained the day we went to the Vernal Pools. And, you know, I didn't think I was going to use the rain poncho, but I ended up using it. Same with the hand warmers. I was telling myself, oh, I'm not going to be that cold. I'm not going to need the hand warmers. I ended up using two packets. So it was just great because that kind of enhanced the level of security I felt being there in the moment. Well, Jessica Mollish from uh, UC Merced's Natural Reserve System and Carlos Martinez, um, student there, uh, I, I so appreciate you joining us to talk about the Field Curious program and your experiences in it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dave, for having us. Thanks to both of our guests from UC Merced, student Carlos Martinez and Professor Jessica Malish, Associate Director of the UC Merced Natural Reserves, and one of the principal designers of their Field Curious program.
We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll talk to two UCLA students using their natural reserve to conduct cutting-edge wildlife research in Southern California's Santa Monica Mountains. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back, and thanks for listening. We're joined now by two UCLA doctoral candidates conducting research at UCLA's Stunt Ranch Natural Reserve in the Santa Monica Mountains. Madeline Zerker is a PhD candidate conducting research on how domestic dogs are impacting gray fox populations in the Santa Monicas. Joseph Curdy is also a PhD candidate, and he's doing research on gene flow in the coastal mountains California quail population. Maddie and Joey, welcome to Blue Dot. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Dave. Excited to be here. I'd, I'd like you first to start out by telling uh, us about the Stunt Ranch property. Um, and let's start with you, Maddie, because I think you've been there, what, since 2020? Yeah, I've been going to Stunt Ranch a long time. I've always really enjoyed it out there. It is nestled in the middle of the Santa Monica Mountains. Um, so you have a lot of suburban area around, you have state parks, um, other types of parks, and Stunt Ranch is so unique because it has a lot of the oak woodland that we associate with much of Southern California, but also this um, beautiful coastal um, chaparral habitat. Um, so it has both of those, and I've had a great time there. I see so much diversity of wildlife. And I'm not a plant aficionado, but there's also an incredible plant diversity there. And um, yeah, I had a great experience with the administrators and other researchers there. It's been awesome. And what about you, Joey? Tell us about like your first impressions the first time you were on that property. Sure. Yeah, happy to. I uh, I have been working in the Santa Monica Mountains since I finished my undergraduate at UCLA um, in 2016. And I have had various connections to Stunt Ranch since then. Uh, prior to starting my PhD, I worked in aquatic invasive species removal um, and Cold uh, Canyon, Cold Creek rather, which is the creek that runs through the Stunt Ranch Preserve uh, is uh, one of our sort of baseline sites. So it's actually the most pristine watershed or stream within the Malibu Creek watershed in the Santa Monica Mountains. And um, when we say pristine, I mean both in terms of its chemistry, its water chemistry. It doesn't have a lot of pollutants because it's in such a natural setting. And then it also doesn't have many of the aquatic invasive species, which prey upon our native aquatic animals. And like Maddie mentioned, it's a very beautiful, really pristine area with a lot of our different habitat types that we have in the Santa Monica Mountains, riparian, oak savanna. We have our chaparral and coastal sage scrub. And its diversity is is pretty pretty remarkable. Um, so when I go out there to count birds or I go out there to mist net bats, we see just a, a host of different species. And that's because it is such a pristine area. It's such a, a sort of secluded and private area. And there's not a lot of sort of anthropogenic stressors or disturbance nearby. I used to visit that property a lot when I was a teenager. Um, when I went to high school, um, it was my nature getaway place. And uh I used to work at a shoe store, Vans shoe store in Topanga Canyon Boulevard. 
And then from there, I would just jam up Mulholland Drive to Mulholland Highway to Stunt Road and mm -hmm. spend as much time as I could on that property and down there at Cold Creek. It's just a magical place where you, at the top of the ridge, you look down on the Malibu Coast and then down in that little canyon, the riparian corridor through there, it's, it's, like, it's like another world compared to most of the Los Angeles suburbs. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very cool. It's one of the few places um, that have really undisturbed watersheds, too. So you can see large aggregations of California newt. Um, the birds are great there. It's a it's a really nice little little getaway. I don't blame you. Yeah, it's a wonder, wonderful, wonderful place. And um, it, it was owned by the Stunt family who uh, homesteaded there like in the 1800s and then got donated. I remember a part, a chunk of property went to the Nature Conservancy. That's kind of the, when, how I started first visiting it in the early 70s. And then it burned in, in the early 90s. But it's really come back. It's, it's in pretty good shape, you know, based on what you've told me. Yeah, totally. It's it hasn't burned since actually that fire that you mentioned in the 90s too. So a lot of the chaparral plants that are there are actually quite big um, and impressive and it it has some unique plants like Maddie was touching on too. There's um there's some really unique shrubs too that you don't see um, in a lot of other places in the Santa Monica Mountains too and and they're quite um, massive almost forming a canopy in some areas. Um so it's 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 a pretty special place to walk through. And of course, uh, the indigenous people, the, the Chumash and others that lived up in there um, for millennia, have you ever seen any kind of, you know, archaeological sites or findings in your wanderings around up there? I haven't personally encountered um, anything archaeological during my fieldwork. Um, in fact, we are usually encouraged to um, stay away from areas that might have um, anything of, of cultural significance, just to make sure we don't um, damage it over time. Very good. Okay, let's talk about your work there. Um, let's start with you, Maddie. Um, you do some interesting studies about domestic dog impacts and uh, with with foxes. Can you tell us about how that study got started? Sure. Um, during the pandemic lockdowns, I was not able to do my intended fieldwork travel to international site. So I ended up doing some camera trapping in the Santa Monica Mountains, um, really just to learn how to use my equipment. And Stunt Ranch Reserve was one of the spots where I started um, camera trapping. That was actually my first experience camera trapping. And really quickly, I started to see a lot of wildlife on the cameras, um, and it inspired me to begin my project on the gray foxes um, in the Santa Monica Mountains. That's now um, part of my dissertation. And what about domestic dogs? What um, tell us about how they uh, could possibly impact the foxes? And and I understand you put out uh, domestic dog urine as part of your study. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, everyone's always really interested in that part. Um, so when I was camera trapping, I noticed that at some places like Stunt Ranch Reserve where there's not a ton of foot traffic and people aren't allowed to bring their dogs. Um, we still see a lot of foxes there. And at places like maybe Red Rock Canyon, if you're familiar with the Tanga area, um, where people are allowed to bring their dogs, we still see a lot of foxes there too. And I tried to put myself in the fox's shoes or rather see through their eyes. And, in their um, paws. In the paws of the, of the gray foxes. And I tried to imagine um, how I would react if this introduced species 
that was a lot like my species came into my territory and was really active during the daytime, um, marking its territory over my home. So that led me to my behavior project. So my project is now testing how the presence of the dogs through their um, urine marking affects how foxes use the area. So will they avoid the area when the introduced species is marking? Will they um, be aggressive? Will they countermark in those areas? Um, those are sort of the questions I'm looking at. And what I find will sort of have implications for how um, wildlife and human interactions will have different implications in different types of parks. So when you have parks that do allow dogs, are we going to see more disease transmission? Or perhaps if the foxes are avoiding that area, will that further um, isolate them to parts of the Santa Monica Mountains that they um, have habitat? So are we taking away habitat by allowing dogs in those parks? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned diseases, and um, it's one of my pet peeves as a dog owner that I feel like a responsible one, because I do take my dogs into natural places, mm -hmm. that I always make sure that I collect their feces when they mm -hmm. go potty. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, aren't responsible and don't do that. And, you know, those things can carry diseases. Yeah, definitely. Dogs have so many impacts on um, on parks. And our family also loves taking our dogs to parks. but. Um, we just have to be really careful about what types of effects we're going to leave in the ecosystem. Take a poop bag, people, or <laughs> several. Okay, Joe, tell us about your work. You work on California quail, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so for so generally, I, I guess I would consider myself a conservation genomicist, or at least for the work that I'm doing for my PhD at UCLA. And part of that work involves understanding how roadways act as barriers to movement to California quail here in the Santa Monica Mountains of Los Angeles. Um, and so my study really involves sampling California quail on either sides of major and minor roadways, including the 101 freeway, the 405 freeway, and then also sort of smaller, more arterial roads like Stunt Ranch Road, which is, um, as, as we're talking about today, near Stunt Ranch. Um, and so I, I select these sites, I trap non-lethally, I trap birds, um, including California quail, and um, I take a small volume of blood um, from which I'm able to sequence the entire genome of these organisms and be able to really apply different programs and statistics to answer these questions of how are they moving, what roadways might act as greater barriers to their movement, um, things like that. So what are like some of the other areas that you're also collecting uh, data from? really all over the Santa Monica Mountains. It's been a pretty gargantuan effort to go out there and, and trap birds every morning, early in the morning. And so we are also sampling birds on either side of Topanga Canyon Road. Um, we've sampled birds um, on either side of Canaan Road, um, which is just west of Stunt Ranch. Um, we've also trapped in a variety of different sites, north and south of the 101 freeway, east and west of the 405, and then through existing museum collections, including through the um, Natural History Museum of Los Angeles, we've been able to also add in a, a few additional samples um, at the sort of far extremes of the Santa Monica Mountains, um, including Griffith Park and um, Westlake, um, Leo Carrillo State Park, places like that. So a really uh, broad landscape scale um, to this project. 
Yeah, it always amazes me how many people don't realize that the Santa Monica Mountains provide this amazing habitat corridor for wildlife and just nature in general, you know, in the midst of one of the most urban areas in the United States. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that that's, it's very interesting. It's very unique. I didn't know about the Santa Monica Mountains until I started my undergraduate at UCLA and, and started getting out there and hiking and, and really seeing that it's, it's such an incredible place to do research. There's um, so many different habitat types. There's um, such a sort of broad landscape to, to sample across. And there's also so many different anthropogenic stressors that make it for a great place to do sort of these natural experiments. Well, the UCLA Stunt Ranch is part of the UC Natural Reserve System. And I'm just wondering for both of you, from your standpoints as students, what does it mean to you to have access to a place like that for your, your work, for your education? So let's, let's start with you, Maddie. What does it mean to you to have access to a place like Stunt Ranch? Yeah, um, having access to Stunt Ranch is, is super meaningful as, uh, as a graduate student. And I also did my undergraduate in the UC system where we where we went to other uh, natural reserves as well. And they're incredible places to do fieldwork trips, um, living laboratories. They just provide such a unique learning experience um, that's really not replaceable with any other type of curriculum as an undergraduate. And as a graduate student, being able to use um, that land to do research and to connect with places where I live is also very valuable. Um, one of my favorite things to do is bring out undergraduate students with me when I do field work. So last Friday, I actually took one of my undergraduate helpers to Stunt Ranch and she grew up in downtown LA and loves to hike, but had never made it out to the Santa Monica's before. So it was wow. a really cool experience for her to realize that the university she attended manages this property. And this is, you know, part of the institution where she goes to school. Um, so it's really fun to be able to um, help people who live in this area and are part of the UCLA community connect with the incredible nature that is so nearby. That must have been really cool for you because I'm sure you recall the first time you set foot in, in the Santa Monica Mountains and on that property to see it through that, that person's eyes for the very first time. Yeah, it's really fun to be able to point out the things that I thought were really interesting the first time I visited. So a lot of people that haven't been in coastal sage scrub habitat um, can't quite identify all of the plants, um, for example, with sage scrub to get them to, you know, rub some on their hands and sniff it and see if they can sort of identify where it is or what it is based on their own experience with, with sage. Um, it's fun to be able to point out things like the Santa Catalina Mariposa lily is super abundant at the Stunt Ranch Reserve. Um, and it's one of the, I think it's a threatened species in California. And they're just these beautiful plants. So it's really fun to be able to point things like that out to people from California. And what about you, Joey? So, yeah, I, I think for a lot of graduate students in our department, the Natural reserve system is a is an incredible resource for us to use. I know for myself personally, the work that I do across the state has relied very heavily on the UC reserve system because they are distributed across the various ecoregions here in the state, which allows you to sample um, whatever your study organism or question might be. It allows you to sample in a variety of different 
habitats, which can be important, for example, if you're thinking through an evolutionary um, lens. So if you're looking at signatures of local adaptations to a variety of different conditions, um, be it rainfall, be it habitat type, things like that, it, it really provides this incredible um, study schema um, of these different reserves across the state. And I know for um, Stunt Ranch, um, it was really my first introductory site because it is so pristine. Um, it's a great place to um, start your work because you're able to find organisms that might not be in more degraded sites um, in the Santa Monica Mountains. So there's a, an incredible covey of quail that live there. And, and it was actually the place where I first learned to track birds on the landscape to learn how to select different baits in order to attract them to my traps. It's where I learned a lot of my first methods. Um, and to this day, it still is a really valuable point for me to be able to stage my research. So it's where I sort of build my traps and it's where I store a lot of my field equipment. And if I didn't have something like Stunt Ranch, I think sort of logistically, at least, it would be a lot more sort of intractable to do the work that I do. And how much time do you get to spend there? Uh, that's a great question. So it, it sort of depends on the time of year. So my trapping isn't year round. I take a sort of brief hiatus when there are chicks on the landscape, um, just because I want to have as little impact on these animals as I can, especially during really sensitive parts of their life cycle, like when they're in reproduction and they have um, young. Um, but during uh, times of the year when there aren't chicks on the landscape, I'm often out there um, mornings uh, from 6am to about uh, noon, um, trapping um, most days of the week unless I have to teach. So it's really, uh, it's really fun to be out there and, and really get to have the full experience of waking up at the crack of dawn and, and just sitting in a field watching birds. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, like anything popped to your head like, oh, this was one of the coolest things ever that you had experienced at Stunt Ranch. So some cool moments I've seen at Stunt Ranch are um, I've gotten videos of two mountain lions, two different mountain lions, um, walking through the property, and they both had collars on. So I was able to contact the people that collar the mountain lions in the Santa Monica's and find out who they were, um, and that was really fun. I've also seen a lot of species on camera that I don't really find in other sites. Like Joey said, a lot of the other sites in the mountains are degraded, um, so there are some things like skunks and opossums that I show up on camera that don't necessarily show up at other sites. So anytime I see something like that, it's really fun. Well, Joey Curdy and Maddie Zerker, UCLA PhD candidates who use the Stunt Ranch property, a part of the UC Natural Reserve System, thanks for sharing your experiences and in, in your studies with us. Thank you so much for having us, Dave. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks again to all of our guests for this special look at the UC Natural Reserve System. Executive Director Steve Monford, Professor Jessica Malish, and student Carlos Martinez from UC Merced. And from UCLA, PhD candidates Madeline Zerker and Joseph Curti. Blue Dot is a production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio in beautiful and talented Northern California. We're distributed by PRX. If you want to revisit, share, or check out past episodes, you can do just that on our website, mynspr.org. And while you're at it, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode on our website, the NPR One app, or wherever you get your podcast groove on. The theme music, Big Wave Dave, is by Matt Schultz. Blue Dot is engineered and produced by the maestro, Matt Fiddler. For all of us here, I remind you there that from deep space, we all live on a pale blue dot. <laughs>